good. Thank you. I'll just rely on yours, eh, Rob? Is that all right? Yeah. Father, we want to give you thanks for this time together. And I pray as we come together this morning to, to ask ourselves a question, are we really Christians? To examine ourselves and to really dive deep in your word. Uh, yeah, that we may... Yeah. We, we may be affirmed by you, Lord, and just yeah, really pray for your guidance here, that you'll give me the words to say, that you'll open our hearts and our ears to, yeah, just to hear the message this morning. And we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Um, yeah, so today we are exploring a question which I, I imagine a lot of us here today would ask pretty frequently, and the question is, am I really a Christian? Now, I don't mean me personally, okay? You can sit there and have a crack at me if you like, but as, we, as I'm talking today, I want you to look inward for yourself and ask yourself this question. Am I really a Christian? Uh, it's a pretty tough question, but as we ask this question together today, we're going to explore God's Word to get a better understanding of why it is important for us to ask this question. So I'd like to read, uh, or start with, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 to 8. I'll give you time to find that. So if you've got your Bibles, just open them up, eh? 2 Corinthians. Chapter 13, verses 5 to 8. There you go. Uh, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Just to verse 7, sorry, sir. So as we explore this today, I'm going I'm to separate this into three groups of people. Okay, And we'll explore all this together. Uh, first being non-Christians who need to hear and believe the gospel. Religious people who need to be brought to a point of crisis. And Christians who need an assurance of their faith. So we've got non-Christians, religious people and Christians. So non-Christians, as we go into exploring this question, everything is based around this question, am I really a Christian? So we're going to just keep exploring that together. Non-Christians, believe it or not, don't actually ask, them that, ask themselves that question. It'd be a bit of a silly thing for them to ask. Am I a Christian? I don't know. Uh, they don't care. For non-Christians, God isn't real. They just reject God completely and replace him with other things. Uh, we can list off a few. They replace him with money, with sex, with family, alcohol, their job, their belongings. But the trouble is, uh, the thing that they don't realise is that it is only God who can truly fulfil that need to feel loved, to be satisfied in their work, in their home life, content with their money and their belongings. It's also really confronting one thing that uh, I remember when I was a non-Christian that I actually chose not to even think about that much, but was the coming judgment. 
I never gave it a second thought, but Hebrews 9, 27 to 28, if you want to find that in your Bibles, I'll just quickly mention it here, says that there will be a judgment on those who are not eagerly awaiting Christ. There is a judgment awaiting them. That are non-Christians, I'd say turn to Christ. Because he's the only way you will ever find satisfaction. He's the only thing that will completely fulfil you if you have faith and believe in him. He's waiting. Come before him in prayer and thanksgiving. God is loving. And he wants us to have peace in him which surpasses all understanding. Now in that passage, 2 Corinthians, that we just read at the beginning, uh, The call to examine ourselves is actually most likely directed towards religious people as a very serious warning. Because I don't know if you've ever fallen into the trap, but we tend to have that religious thought and we believe that we can be saved by the things that we've done or even just who we are. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. Religious people rely on their actions. A few statements, and this is from both ends of the spectrum. I believe in God. I'm basically a good person. I haven't murdered anyone. I've never robbed a bank. I'm nice. God wouldn't keep me out of heaven. Or even on the more legalistic Christian side of things, I go to church regularly. I pray. I say grace before I eat. I even serve my local church. I love my family. Now the trouble is, like I said at the start, we can sit back now, if we're in a good frame of mind today, we can sit back and go, oh yeah, that's a bit silly. But I think we all fall into this train of thought sometimes. And the awesome thing is, is that the Bible actually helps to address this issue as well. Isaiah 64, 6, probably one of my favourite passages to go to when I feel like I'm starting to drift into a more religious approach to my faith. We've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Now, that's just one of several verses that we're going to explore that actually confront this issue head on. Because for religious people who believe their actions are great and that they are saved through their works and that they are more than the person in jail, the person down the street, more than their colleagues, (laughs) Isaiah says it right there, we're all unclean. And our our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. We will be swept away. Thankfully for us, we have Jesus, but even Jesus doesn't shy away. What does Jesus say to religious people? We see in Luke chapter 18, if we want to turn to this one together, this would be good to read together. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus says to the religious leaders. Let's read it together. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, Jesus criticises those who rely on themselves and their own actions. We'd be lying to ourselves if we say that we don't fall into the religious trap sometimes. I can recall times in my life where I've actually thought, at least I'm not like that tax collector, that alcoholic, that unfaithful husband, that abusive father. The trouble is, although on the surface these people may seem far more evil than ourselves, our sin in God's sight is exactly the same. We have all fallen short. We are all in desperate need of Christ's saving grace. I want to emphasise here, there is absolutely no salvation through religion. There is absolutely no salvation through religion. Christ goes on. He, he, he confronts these people quite a bit. So look at what he says again to religious people. In Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. When I read this with Steph yesterday, that was, it chilled me to my core. It's, it's an incredibly confronting passage. Did we not prophesy and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? I mean, I've, they're trying to justify themselves before Christ on that final day. <laughs> like, Look at what I did. But I've tried so many times, not just with God, but even in my day to day. I've tried to justify my actions in the way I am with Steph at times. I mean, we've had many ongoing projects that need to get done at home. A lot of projects. And I consistently justified myself as to why they couldn't happen. Mostly internally, but sometimes, you know, when I'm feeling extra holy that day, I'd... Uh, I'd, I'd chime in with a bit of an excuse here and there. Uh, for instance, oh, I've just had a, I've had a big week at work. I finished work late. I couldn't get that done today. I mean, I work hard. I just don't have the time. It it really hurt 
to write that stuff down actually to know that that's that's genuinely things that I use to justify myself to my own wife sometimes that's pretty disgusting (laughs) this is me if you feel confronted with this I'm judging myself here not you but if you feel judged that's uh, I guess (laughs) we're in it together (laughs) but it's it hurts it hurts to know that I justify myself not just to my wife but to God because like the people declaring their works to Christ in those final days did we not do this I'm missing the point when I try and justify myself I'm completely missing the point I'll ask you the same question that I ask myself will you stand before Christ on those final days and say Lord, Lord See what I did. Or do we approach the throne as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So will we approach the throne and say, Lord, Lord, look what I did? Or will we approach the throne boldly, knowing that all has been accomplished in Christ? Now, as we went through that Matthew 7 passage, uh, there's quite a confronting thing there as well. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Steph and I, as we read this, asked ourselves, what, what, is, what is the will of the Father? What is it? Well, if we turn together to John chapter 6, verses 28 to 29, we'll see, Then they said to him, this is religious leaders talking to Jesus, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And if we turn to 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So to the religious person, beware, we are very clearly called here. Our salvation isn't from self-justification, but in believing in him and in the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. And then to love one another and abide in him. Then we come to Christians. Why do Christians constantly ask this question? Am I really a Christian? Why do Christians doubt that they are saved? Does it make us non-Christians if we feel unsure? If something were to happen or Jesus were to come back right now, would I be saved? Would I go with him? 
How about if Jesus were to come back when I'd just gotten frustrated? Got me frustrated with my kids, with my wife, at that driver of the car in front of me, who decided to speed up when an overtaking lane finally opened up. Good on you, bud. In that moment, am I saved? When nothing is going right today and I am just filled with anger, am I still saved? Am I still a Christian? If you are a Christian here today, you should be encouraged when this question comes up, not discouraged. Because as we read at the beginning in that 2 Corinthians passage, we are called to examine and test ourselves. Non-Christians don't ask if they are Christians or not. Religious people are confident because they base their salvation on themselves and their own actions. But was Christ's death worthwhile if we aren't sure? Christ's death would mean nothing if we just relied on how we feel about our sin or our righteousness on any given day. I mean, what's the point in him dying for our sins and giving us the new covenant? By the way, the new covenant which solely relies on God's side of things, not us. So giving us the new covenant, if the new covenant still relied on us working to save ourselves. There is surety in what Christ has done. And if we have faith in him, It doesn't matter if we feel unsaved because our faith can be firm and confident in Him. We're going to read a pretty lengthy passage but a really important passage now. So if we can turn together to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, we're going to read from verses 11 to 23 together. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's from Jeremiah, if you're interested. Go read that, it's a good book. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. Our confidence is in he who promised. Our confidence 
is in He who promised and is in He who is faithful. So when Christians ask, am I really a Christian? I think in those moments, what we're really concerned about is, are we really saved right now? And from reading Hebrews, we can see if we believe in Christ and we have a genuine faith in Him, we are saved. And we can be confident in this because it's not from ourselves. Hebrews also addresses the topic of our sin in verse 14. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That conviction of sin is a sign of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts rather than the lack of salvation. We are completely perfected in Christ, but we are still being sanctified. So praise God that we have His Spirit. We're called in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our sin is always going to be wrong. While we are here on earth, we are always going to be with sin. But for us, we're called not to be conformed to the way of the world, not to be conformed and shaped by our sin, but instead to be shaped by Christ, by the work of His Holy Spirit in our hearts. We're called out of sin. We're being sanctified. We're being made new. We're being washed clean constantly through what Christ has done. We are being made holy in Christ. So as Christians who have faith in Christ Jesus, I want to encourage you. We can have a complete and a full assurance of salvation through the death, resurrection and ascension of Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for this time together this morning. Uh, We are incredibly grateful for your word, Lord, and the way in which you can mould us and teach us and even reveal to us, Lord, the the perfection of your character and your love towards us. We thank you, Father, that although we continue to live with sin here, that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit, that you have given us so much grace and mercy and revealed to us your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for each of us here today, Father, that you will speak to us by your word and by your Son, that your Holy Spirit will soften our hearts towards you, that we will lean heavily against you, Lord. That if any of us here today, including myself, throughout the week, throughout the rest of our lives, continue to fall into the trap, of religious thinking, of justifying ourselves by our actions, that 
you'll reveal to us in those moments that Christ is enough, that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy towards us. I want to give you thanks and praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.